Hey everyone, this is a super special episode of the WeVA podcast. I think we've all seen the power of these large language model technologies like ChatGBT and are curious about how we can use this for our businesses, our productivity, fun projects, and so on. Uh, today we welcome WeVA CEO and co-founder Bob Van Light with a huge announcement about how we're adding large language model technology to WeVA. Welcome, Bob. Thanks so much, Connor. Great to be back on the, well, on the WeVA podcast, of course. Awesome. So could we dive right into how do we use it? What is the new generate module? Yeah, sure. So what so as you might know, and so um, for the listeners, of course, that WeVIT has a modular ecosystem. So you can use WeVIT standalone to add your data or your embeddings. However, you can also use modules. And the first uh, wave of modules that we had were uh, factorizers, right? So you had text2vec, for example, or image2vec from different providers. But we're now also introducing these um, uh, generative modules. So basically what the generative module does is that it does something with the data in your database. And uh, so, for example, if you have a product stored in your WeVA and you're looking for Adidas shoes for the summer, then now you can also add a task or a prompt for the model where you say, okay, present the results as if they were Facebook ads or whatever you want to do with these results or summarize them all together. And I think that is super exciting because if we look at the origin, right, of how uh, vector database and vector search engines have evolved, we started to see this change that the inputs that we were giving as a query, we didn't necessarily have to make a 100% match on what was stored. So, for example, if we had stored the Eiffel Towers in Paris, we could locate it by searching for landmarks in France. But now we're going to see the same thing for the output. So we can actually do something based on the output and what we've stored inside the database. So I'm super excited about this. And um, this will just be a module like any other. So you can just hook it up to Weaviate and uh, press button and you're good to go. Yeah, it's amazing. I think the whole retrieval augmented language model space is just so exciting. I I first came aware of this idea with like retrieval augmented generation. And then when, when I first met you and I saw like, oh, wow, vector databases, they're building the whole database part of it and seeing it because you can just update it with the, the new information. And it, it's so interesting to see that. So uh, could we dive into a little more on how to use it, the details of, um, so I see single result and grouped result. Uh, can you talk more about the design behind that? Yeah, sure. And then I can talk about a bit about it. And then maybe it's a good idea to just dive right into a demo because I'll just show also to the you know people watching how it works. So what we've done is this. If you query WeVA, you get a bunch of results, right? So you get like one results or more results. Um, what you can do is we have a parameter that's called single results that will run the prompt over every individual result. So for example, where we have these, um, if we have an e-commerce data set where we say, uh, show me Adidas shoes for the summer, um, and the prompt would be represent them as Facebook ads, then it would just go like, okay, for this first product, this would be the Facebook ad. For the second product, that would be the Facebook ad, etc. Or we can give it a task for all, for the grouped results. So we can say, for example, if we, um, let's take uh, with the e-commerce data set, if we have reviews, we can say, okay, Show me the reviews related to uh, these Adidas shoes that people wear, there, uh, wear during the summer, but summarize them into one, um, uh, you know, make one summarization for all of these reviews. So that's the difference between single results or the individual ones or grouped results where we all capture them together. Um, shall we dive into the demo? Yeah, let's do it. 
So let's use our news article data set. So first, let's look at the titles and summaries that we have stored in this Weviate. And now let's do a hybrid search. So I'm going to go for a hybrid, and then we're going to go for the query um, Italian cuisine. And we'll just limit that to the first result, because it makes it a little bit more easy to read. So this is pure hybrid search, but what we now can do is that we can send the results to the generative model. So let's first start with single results. That basically means it will send every result with a prompt to the model. So we say single result, we give it a prompt. So for example, let's go for um, summarize the following in a tweet. And now we need to send the property as well. So we only want to send the summary of the article. And here you see the single result now contains a tweet based on the summary of this article. Let's try something else. So we could say create a Facebook ad about the following. And let's do that for a meetup in, uh, meet in Amsterdam. So we still also send through the summary, and here you see we have a single result for a meetup in Amsterdam. Or we can even do something like translate the following into, well, Dutch, because the event is in Amsterdam. So now we get back the results from the model, and as you can see, there are in Dutch. Well, if you read Dutch, as I do. Or we could do something like explain the historic element of the following to a five-year-old. Now note how it still returns the actual article, it does the hybrid search, but it then also sends it through, in this case, the GPT model to produce whatever prompt we've given it. We can also do that for full results. So let's look at the publications we have in Weaviate. So we have a bunch of news publications and we can do a pure vector search, for example, searching for uh, magazines or newspapers about um, finance. And let's um, set the certainty to 75%. And then we get three results like the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times Company. Um, what we can do is that we can also uh, generate a result based on all the results in one. So what we're going to do, we're going to go for a grouped result and the grouped result is not getting a prompt, but it's getting a task. We wanted to do something with all these results combined. So let's say, mm, explain why these magazines or newspapers are about fashion, uh, finance. So you see the Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, etc., etc., are all about finance because, so it gives a explanation. So that was the demo with the single results and the group results for the generative module. Uh, this was the uh, demo in GraphQL, but of course you can also uh, use it directly in Python, in JavaScript, Java, Go, uh, whatever your favorite language is. So uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's so incredible. Just like the ability to summarize articles has come such a long way. I, I always thought that was such an ambitious task of deep learning, this idea that you could summarize a whole article, but, and then also now summarizing search results. So you take the top five and you put them all as input into the GBT thing. And it's just crazy. I think, 
maybe I have a little story to tell. Like um, one of the earlier software projects I was working on it is like this mm-hmm. idea of building a travel itinerary. So, you know, you travel and you're saying, oh, I'm going to Miami. What should I do in Miami? And this idea that maybe you search for like landmarks in Miami, you get the top five. And then like you, in addition to the content where it's like, oh, I don't, I don't remember Miami too. I think it's like Biscayne Bay, uh, Lincoln <laughs> hotels, right? Stuff like this. And like in addition to like the description, you also have the data from Weviate, like the location where it is. And it can use that to sync up an itinerary, that kind of thing. So maybe the next topic we could talk about is the templating, like using more than one data property from Weviate that describes each class to pass to ChatGPT. So if I'm using the Weviate podcast, I could say speaker said content on date, and I can template the results to hand it to ChatGPT that way. Yeah, that is a that is a great point. And so what's what's exciting about this is that so basically, as you've seen in the demo, what we're doing is that we're telling in the prompt, these are the properties coming from Weviate that you need to base your result on. But because of course, if we wouldn't use you know the the uh, um, that in our templates, the properties in our templates, we would just send an empty request uh, to the model. We don't want that. But um, what we of course aim to do here is to basically more focus on the language understanding of the model than per se on the the, the knowledge that it has. So um, um, I, not to go too deep into the whole hallucination thing here, but it's more what is interesting here is that we can say you must base your answer based on this information that we're giving you from the database. And if you can't, you know, find an answer or produce an answer based on what we give you, tell us that you can't. And I think that is very, um, uh, that is actually very exciting because here we, you know, try to take these first steps in trying to solve that problem of like, how do we make sure that the model is giving us um, an answer that is like not hallucinated. And that's actually true based on the data um, uh, that we that we have. And an example that I often use, and there was one example that I tried out, it was a very simple example, is that if you ask the model, like, where's the Big Ben, right? So it's, like, it's in London. But if you store in, in Weviate a data object that says um, the, the Big Ben was in London, but it's moved to Paris by truck or by boat. And that's both, I guess, by both, by both and by, by truck. So then um, if you then store it and then you ask at the beginning of the input and we've hit, okay, the query, where's the Big Ben? Then it will find that data object that states that the Big Ben originally was in London, but it's moved to Paris. And that information is fed into the model. And now you tell the model, you must answer based on what's in that data object. And then the, the model might produce something like, hey, it was you know, previously in London, but now it is in uh, Paris. And that is how we try to solve that problem um, uh, uh, of, of hallucination. I'm looking forward also to what people will be building and templates that people will be creating because um, probably a lot to learn. Um, uh, but that's, you know, that, that's where we are right now. And the, the first results are just, well, as you've seen in the demo, are just super exciting. Yeah, super interesting. And I'm really excited to come back to that kind of uh, the prompting it to ground its results where you say like these little subtle details of like when you template it, like please based on the search results or tell us if you don't know, cite which search results are the most relevant. But one other investigation in this template thing that I thought was so interesting is that it can kind of read the JSON keys. Like when you have a JSON dictionary that you hand off from Weviate to ChatGPT, usually the semantic keys are are pretty good compared to, but then you also with the template, you have these like little language biases, like again, like speaker said 
content on date, like that little said and on provide like a little more semantic clues than the key value naming. Maybe we could talk a little more about that. Just ability to read JSON data. And I think you also touched on it, but the ability to output JSON data. Like that. Yes. So, so I think first, before diving into this, like also a, a little story from my side, I, the, I, I also tweeted about this, that the, um, the first time that I used such a model, which was somewhere, you know, um, I mean, the first time I used such a model was like quite some time ago because you had like uh, Gödel, et cetera, from Microsoft, but it was like, you know, it was okay-ish, but now it becomes like really good. So uh, when I, when I dove back into it again, the, this thing that you're just communicating with it in natural language and that you automatically start to use words like please, et cetera, is, is something that I just, that's such a paradigm shift and in my, in my mind. So that is something that I'm just, um, yeah, that is something I'm super, you know, excited about to see how that will, um, uh, develop. And then on top of that, what you just mentioned is, um, indeed the fact that, uh, we, uh, the first experiment that I did myself was that I just gave it a prompt that I said, you're going to receive a JSON object from a vector database called Reviate, and we're looking for X, Y, or Z. And then just, just copy paste it in the JSON, like literally the JSON object that comes back. And it just parsed that and that worked. And I was like, whoa. And then I was like, so what if I go to the, take a next step here? What if I uh, say like, okay, I'm searching for something and I want to get a result from you and you need to represent it in this JSON object. And the result should be in the key result. But I also created a key action where I said like, okay, if you want to keep searching, you should populate uh, the field action with uh, search. And this is working as well. So now I was like, this is super exciting. So the thing that we can start to, to, to do, uh, Connor, and this is really early days, but we're creating these feedback loops back into the, into the database. So to make that very concrete, um, if I store products in Weaviate, right, and I use a vectorizer, so, or I bring my own vectors, doesn't matter, right? So I have these vectors stored in Weaviate. Now, if it's, for example, products, and I said, okay, show me all products related to the summer and, or to the beach and create, represent them as Facebook ads. Then I get that as an output, but I could choose to just feed that back into the database and store them now under the class, I don't know, ads or something, create factory representations for those. And now we see that the database starts to populate itself with relevant information. But also think about, you know, asking it questions. So if somebody writes a very long review for your product, you just automatically feedback, okay, summarize this review or those kind of things. There's just so much exciting stuff that we, that we see happening. Um, or we can say, well, I'm, we're going to search for um, uh, 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 sports products for the summer, but group them by different sports and feed them back. So there's so much stuff that we can start to do there. And the first step in this is releasing that generative uh, model. But then, of course, the next step is like that we start to create these feedback loops. And that's just, yeah, I've, I've, never, I've never seen that before, like coming from a database, right? So that it really becomes generative itself. So that's just, you know, super exciting. Yeah, I think that's like the, the mind-blowing where we're headed, just hard to even wrap your head around. And I think there's kind of like two things like, the ability of it to output JSON data, to format its output in a particular kind of syntax, whether it's 
you know, write a list of topics and separate each one with an asterisk such that when I'm in Python, I can do, you know, dot split asterisk and now I have the list and things like this, but that it can write the JSON, that it can format its output in an API compatible way to send it to the next thing and then just keep the loop going is unbelievable. And so I, I want to come back to this kind of our follow-up questions needed multi-hop decomposition a little later, but for now I want to stay on this idea of writing data back to Weavia. You mm -hmm. you call ChatGPT or, or whichever large language model, and it generates something and it writes back to Weavia. And it also could be like the image models and the video models as this space emerges, but it writes it back to Weavia. And how how do you see these this kind of play evolving? Like, can can it have these like billion scale conversations with itself where because it, also a huge thing of weaviate is like the scaling of it and like storing like hundreds of millions of these or billions even of these conversations it has with itself and just exploding this kind of latent space of the conversation it has with, with itself uh, so i mean this is just because this is as you said this is so new what we will see happening is just, I, I don't know yet, but if I just, you know, um, have my imagination going, right? So for example, one of the things that we, <clears throat> one of the things that we could think about is for example, let's say, let's change um, use cases, right? Let's say that I'm storing uh, uh, documents or web pages or those kind of things on, on, a, on that large scale that you mentioned. And let's say that we want to give it some something additional to rank it, right? To say like, okay, how important is this today as opposed to something else? We could tell the model. We can say like, okay, today uh, maybe a, you know a specific sports match is important. So if you see stuff that's somehow related to that, add to the ranking if you just go through it. So you keep pumping in the data. The model just starts to randomly search for things that might be relevant. It might create its own semantic search queries and those kind of things, and just you know improve the results after they're added without human intervention. Those kind of things I could really see happening. What you said about like everything multi-model, the same thing there, because we're now very much focusing on text, right? Text is the big use case. Most people are using it for text. Uh, but what do you think about like images, audio, those kind of things, especially when we get these multi-model um, uh, uh, solutions? I just imagine that you have a, um, a based on what you've stored, you're not generating text as output, but like images as output, you feed that back into the database, create a factory presentation for that, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we just, we're scratching the surface here. And, you know, we, we of course, uh, you know, work closely together with those building these, these models uh, so that we can make sure that the infrastructure to support it and to scale it is, is there. So it's a, you know, it's a beautiful synergy, but it's just, it, we're just getting started with this. Mm -hmm. And, so coming back to the our follow up questions needed prompt and when you when you you could give it a question and then it could say uh, you know it broke it has sub question question and so it, it can store its path of sub question asking in Weaviate and then you can kind of trace it back maybe maybe we could imagine a future where you leave this running overnight and it's like you wake up and it's <laughs> this like massive. Yeah. Yeah, so so this kind of thing of our follow up questions needed. It's this topic of like multi hop question answering, where it's say uh, like did uh, did Thomas Edison use a laptop? Questions like this, where you first say when was when did Thomas Edison live? When were laptops invented? This kind of multi hop question answering. Uh, can you talk a little more about the thinking on this kind of like recursive our follow up questions needed? Yeah, so I think the the um the most important thing when it comes to that also in relation to to what we're doing from a database perspective is that what we see happening now mostly happens 
inside the model. So it bases that on what's in the models. We take the model and we just, you know, we, we go through it. And I, I think we'll, we might talk about this, you know, later as well, certain approaches. What we're doing with the database is that we're basically going to say, we still want to have the power of the model of the language understanding what we're saying. So based on the question, for example, that you're asking, um, but we want to feed it with real-time data, right? And here the fact that it's a vector search and you're affected DB helps because the input is, uh, um, uh, you know, it's a semantic search, you know, question. So it's not a traditional keyword-based question. So that's going to be very, very powerful. So what we want to do is, so for example, the question that you had, um, asked about like, um, was again, did Edison use a, a laptop? That is something that can probably be reasoned from the model itself. But let's say that you have a database with, you know, I don't know, contracts from your company. And you purely ask the model, um, did we agree on the contract to do X? The model doesn't know. But what we can tell the model is, okay, just try to find that in the database. So you start, you input that query in the database. It feeds that into the model. This is the data we have. This is the question that we try to answer. And then it produces an outcome or it says like search again. So that's that feedback loop. Where we are today with the generative model is just, it feeds it in the model and it generates an output. But there's just no reason why we can't, you know, um, start to, to loop that back into the model as well. Um, and that can happen from the from the Weaviate module, but we can also do that with, you know, um, new projects that now you know come into existence that we can use and leverage and, and collaborate with as well. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, and I'm I'm so happy you brought it back to that topic of the specific data and adapting ChatGPT to or whichever large language model technology to your particular data because like it inspires things like you know say we want to use we want to try to better understand the Weaviate code base and this kind of thing that. You know the language model, language model probably hasn't been trained directly on that data, but you can supplement it to kind of do this custom data reasoning. So maybe it's a big topic here, but with that kind of thinking, how are you thinking about uh, fine tuning language models, or is it just the like? Do you need to fine tune the language models anymore in your domain, or do you think this just kind of retrieval augmented with these prompts and this decomposition of how you maybe you know parse the first five search results and the next five or like? All these different kinds of ideas. Do you think fine-tuning the language models is going to be a big thing in the future? Yeah. So this is this is super interesting, right? So the um, because the the thing is this, like basically we see like uh, two camps in this, and then we see that from a different perspective, from uh, the academic perspective, from the product perspective, from the engineering perspective, from the design perspective. So you know, multi-dimensional ways of looking at this uh, uh, at this, but. I, in my role also in the company, I try to sit a little bit in the middle <clears throat> and, and what, I'm, what I'm hoping for and what I think what I'm seeing is that on one hand, you have this group saying like, okay, we need to just fine tune the model to get to better results. On the other hand, say like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're just going to use the model. It's like th these models are not good enough to be very sophisticated in parsing and understanding language. We're just going to feed it the information. And the upside of that is that, well, you do not have to find you. Now, where that becomes very interesting is that, for example, if you take the, the pure academic perspective, so, and you have the pure, um, uh, 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 the benchmarks and, and what, you know, and, and what we see being tagged as state of the art and those kind of things, I very much understand. And I would also predict that fine tuning it and then feeding it information will yield the best results, right? That, that just, you know, based on intuition makes more sense. 
and, and that will happen and we'll see a lot of innovation there. But if you look at, at a product perspective or like a product slash um, uh, engineering, maybe even, or maybe more design and product perspective, is just thinking, yeah, but wait a second, if the large language model is good enough in parsing my question and based on that present the right results, why would we go to the effort of extra fine-tuning the model? Because especially if we have data streaming in with it, right? So one of the previous podcasts was about the Spark connector. We're talking about, you know, uh, we're not talking about like hundreds, but thousands of like uh, documents per second shooting in and vectors shooting in. So, and that is something, of course, that we, um, uh, you know, that that is something that we, how should I say, um, we need to somehow optimize for all these different uh, uh, cases. It, it's a little bit the same as sometimes discussions th that you see around like how many dimensions should an embedding have to be, you know, good or like good enough. And then sometimes the answer that comes from academia is different that comes from product or from engineering. And somewhere, somewhere in the middle sits that sweet spot. And and so to recap, I think that based on these on these two things, I think that the um, it will be a little bit more top heavy on the right hand side where we say, do we really need to find you, or that we get these LLMs that we say this LLM is good at medical data, this LLM is good at engineering data, yeah. and then even if you have custom language, custom nomenclature in your in your data set, it will be good enough to parse that and get that feedback cycle going. Yeah, that's incredibly interesting. I agree completely with that. Like the the ability to have like a local memory and like cleverly manipulate the memory with tools like Weaviate, it makes a lot of sense compared to the fine tune on your custom data. But then I also see that space emerging with like, uh, you know, like the legal large language model, the PubMed one, like the, the different specializations, but still like a foundation model idea where it's this big model that probably hasn't seen your particular data, but it's seen like kind of like, like if you're an engineer, it's seen like engineering data generally. So maybe this is a good transition kind of as we talk about the models, kind of like what, like right now, the first iteration of the generating modules integrating with the open AI models. Uh, how do you see that space emerging with say the Cohere models, the Google open sourcing, the Flan T5 models seems like that's something that's like on the cusp of it. So what do you, how do you see this space of the model providers playing out? Yeah, this is so. This is super interesting, right? Because the um, I think um, our, our friends at OpenAI did an amazing job also in in positioning the model right? because mm. it's just the, the 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 I believe it's the DaVinci two model mm. in um, but using just as a layer on top the, uh, the, the 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 chat functionality, right? And and this here and this is what I find super interesting, right? So we have in this one corner we have the the academic side of things, but on the other end with the product side of things. And they just did a great job there because they, I was literally the other day, I was in a bar and, and, and I explained to the bartender what I, you know, what it is like, oh, is that some kind of, you know, chat GPT related? <laughs> and I mean, it, that's a good sign, right? So, <laughs> so, um, um, uh, so they did something great there. But the, the point that I want to want to make with this is like, we do not only have that model from uh, OpenAI. And so we see what Google is doing indeed with Flan, which is super interesting because they decided to open source that. So that means that certain people who just for whatever reason want to use a model that they can control themselves, um, that that becomes available to them. But we also see indeed others who create generative modules, right? So mm -hmm. for example, like Cohere, and what we do with all these models um, uh, within Weaviate is like, we want to support everybody. 
So we decide we just it's up to the users and the customers who decide what they what they want and what they need for their use case. We're just going to make as many as we can available so that people can just decide um, what they want. And what I would guess is that if we take this out of the realm of academia, more into product and engineering and design, it is um, um, uh, different people have different use cases, have different needs, right? The size of the models can play a role. Where's hosted can play a role. Uh, how you can control the model might play a role. And the fact that we have this wide variety of you know flavors and choices in what kind of generative model we want to use, same, by the way, goes for models we use to create embeddings. I think mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing. So then people can decide you know, whatever they want. And, and again, we try to support as many as we can. Yeah, with your expertise in business and product development, I, this is a kind of open-ended question, but do you think like the cost of large language model inference will trend to be extremely cheap over time? So, it, well, it, it has to, right? So there's always this, there's this, there's this trade-off, right? So for example, um, uh, let's take the example of um, um, uh, using your own embedding from Hugging Face versus an hosted embedding. Let's say that your use case for your use case, you're fine using a hosted uh, embedding somewhere. Then there's this trade-off point, right? So if I run it myself, I have that control, but that comes with certain costs. I need to pay for the GPUs, for the infrastructure, those kind of things. Mm. Or it might tilt off, like it became so cheap to mm. run that somewhere else. So we saw like, of course, these prices, they're just going down, 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 down. And it becomes cheaper, cheaper, and cheaper to actually use these models. So then it might tip over for your use case if you say, okay, now it's just cheap enough, right? So it's just, it's the it comes with that UX inflection point, and um, that will really, really, really depend on the use cases that you have. Because if you're in hospital and uh, you're storing patient files and you want to quickly search through these patient files, then it it can get as cheap as you want, right? So, but it, <laughs> it will not tip over. It will, you know, stick to that other side. And then maybe ways that people scale these models and work with them and how um, uh, cloud providers interact with them might be more interesting for those kind of use cases. So there's always this inflection point that has a combination of price and U UX, you know. So if it's, um, uh, if the UX becomes, if it's so easy versus so difficult to run one over the other, it might just tip over. Mm. Or if it becomes so mm. cheap that it might tip over. But sometimes it never tips over. It's like, sorry, we just need to do it the hard way because... That is for our use case important. And that is why we also see um, uh, companies like, I don't know, like like Ray or something, right? Where they mm. say, okay, you know, we help you run these models, which is, you know, great mm -hmm. because there will be enough use cases. I mean, there will be so many use cases in the world that there's like enough for both uh, worlds. And also I think these embedding providers, um, they, they, they struggle, of course, with the fact that they somehow need to scale the effort of running these these uh, models and mm -hmm. um, and but that's how it's that's how it's solved right so that's like the, the market just determines if it goes left or or right and that is the big difference between that academic side and the product side so mm -hmm. that, and that's what I mean when I say like good enough <laughs> there's always like okay you know maybe on benchmarks XYZ in this uh, mm -hmm. uh, 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 article it says that uh, a works better than B, but mm. B is so much easier to run and so much cheaper. <laughs> and I get the results I want, mm -hmm. so why not go for B? And that is just that's just age old wisdom coming from the market, you know how it mm -hmm. how it operates. So, um, well, I hope that answers your question. Oh yeah, uh, this is models.
Yeah, incredible. I think that argument plays a lot into the like the fine tuning discussion of earlier. Like right now, it's I think like OpenAI Cohere, they offer a fine tuning option and it's sort of like you give them your data. I haven't used it myself, so I can't speak from experience, but I think the model is like you give them your data, they fine tune the model, then you just pay a little more for inference compared to where like for you to fine tune Flan T5 on your data where you might need to deal with like distributed GPU training. It For most people, it might just that tip the scale might just be like, ah, it's too much effort. I can't be bothered with this. And then it, and then on the other end is the inference side, which is another extremely interesting part of it. And it, yeah, like the, like you need to host, say, like a four GPU inference for your very large model. And so I think this is a good transition also to talk a little more about the WeV8 module system and how it helps you host the model. So there's two options where you can use the OpenAI or the Cohere models. And there's also the kind of do-it-yourself in WeV8, you have the module. Uh, can you describe kind of the WeVA module system a little more? Yeah, so, so I can. And, and let me, before I do that, let me explain a bit where it's coming from, right? So why, why we have this. So um, if you if you have just WeVA as just a, um, a database that you can use to store data objects with vector embeddings attached to it, um, we've seen like people need to get these embeddings from somewhere, right? And I'm a big believer in the... Um, in the innovators, early adopters, uh, uh, early majority kind of, you know, that, that that's used in the in, in crossing the chasm, that, that model, right? And what we see is that these innovators and the early adopters, these, what these folks have in common, you, you also find them on Twitter, they're smart, right? They know how this stuff works. They know how to operate it. They know how to get these embeddings and those kind of things. But there are also people that you might find when you talk at a conference, when we do the WeVeat meetups or what have you, they go like, hey, this is amazing, but I don't know how to run such a model. That's just maybe a little bit too complex or those kind of things. So that's where the modular ecosystem, um, that's where that idea came from. That we say like, what if we just make it easier for people that if they want, they can pick a module. They don't have to, they can. That for example, takes care of vectorization or that takes care of anything else. Like for example, the generative um, uh, module. You don't have to use it, but you can use it if you want. And how it works is actually pretty simple. So. WeVeat itself, so the database, the WeVeat database is 100% standalone. So if you just run the database, you will see that you just run one container at the least, right? And of course, scale it up that, you know, can become more containers. But just for the sake of argument, use one container that's WeVeat, that's the thing that you find on GitHub that's completely standalone. Um, and then you can say, I enable a module. And sometimes the modules are built in into Weaviate. So for example, when you interact with the OpenAI endpoints, with the Cohere endpoints, Weaviate takes care of throttling and those kind of things and, and handling the errors, et cetera, so that it doesn't do one request after the other, but multiple ones, et cetera. But sometimes modules are a little bit more complex. So for example, if you want to use uh, the modules from uh, a hugging phase and you want to run them the, um, yourself, then you see that a, a second container will pop up, one containing um, uh, the model and mm -hmm. then inside the Weaviate module, <laughs> which you can connect <laughs> for GPU if, to a GPU if you like, and then Weaviate next to it. So it, that it just, that it runs um, uh, next to each other. And the idea again there is very simple, just to make it as easy as possible for people to work with these models, because not everybody knows how to do that. And the upside of running a model as opposed to a database is that the model is stateless. So you just, if you just want more and faster, you just have like a lot of models running in mm -hmm. parallel. The problem is that that's crazy expensive, right? It's really mm -hmm. expensive. 
Um, so helping people solve those kind of things, that is what we aim to achieve with these, um, uh, with these modules. So you see there's a database in the center and then this collection of modules around it that you can use if you want, but you don't have to. Uh, it is brilliant. I, yeah, it's so exciting the Weave module system. I think it adds so much to the vector database. You have, of course, like the HNSW product quantization, the approximate nearest neighbor part, and you know the as we're adding the hybrid search with the BM25 indexing, and then all the database functionality like replication. You have all that, but then you also want to have like the things you're going to need to use it. And I think the example, in addition to the generate module, the like the vectorizers is a really great example. Like when you have a query coming in, you need to vectorize it to access the vector index and use it. And yeah, it's just it's so interesting hearing about that module system and the design. Uh, that one other thing you mentioned was about the container design. I think that is just brilliant engineering. Maybe a little biased in saying that because like, <laughs> but I really find that to be so brilliant. Like. Your Weaviate instance could have a billion data objects and it needs to be this big computer, but then your text vectorizer is just like a smaller thing because it's just vectorizing the queries and it all depends on like the trade-offs of the use cases and this kind of scaling out of different containers. I think it's such a massive part that it adds to the search experience particularly and I think as Weaviate evolves in the whole AI first databases, this separation is so interesting. So now another topic that I think is extremely exciting is, so we've talked to the Weaviate module system is like what should live in Weaviate? How can it live in Weaviate and interact with that vector index? But now let's kind of talk about some of these large language model orchestration tools, this kind of category yes. of, yes, yeah, exactly that large language model orchestration. <laughs> so, uh, so things like Langchain, GPT index, that kind of have, and I think it's similar to this earlier thing about neural search frameworks, like as we saw Gina AI and Haystack, I think it's a similar kind of conversation. Uh, so how are you thinking about this kind of topic? Yeah, so I'm I'm super excited about it because I remember I think I'm not sure, but I think I saw actually I saw GPT index before Langchain, I think. And then it, <laughs> and I believe that GPT index uses Langchain. So I was like, I saw that first and then uh, uh, the second one. And that was just that made immediate sense to me. So I also mm -hmm. internally, you know, I said like as you know, of course, like, you know, we need <laughs> to help these people because it's gonna be awesome if you also integrate this with the database. And um, it, this just makes sense, right? So this has to do, this might be a nice piece of the puzzle with feeding that data back into, for example, the database where you ask mm -hmm. basically, basically such an or orchestration to like, can you help me to figure out if I should add something to the database? Do we need to get something from the database and those kind of things. And mostly we see that currently these orchestration tools work only with the model. So what we discussed earlier, so it gets something from the model. But it would be, of course, amazing. And that's something we already see happening because we see the Weaviate integration with these tools, right? Then we can say, okay, we now can integrate um, um, uh, the database as well. That, that you can say, like, ask the model, do you know this or should I get it from the database? Or you might be at some point you can orchestrate it to say, like, you know, it must come from the database first and then reason over it, right? So we can all these all these directions and we need orchestration for that. So that makes just, that makes a lot of sense. and. Again, so we are in the business of uh, you know building a, a database technology to 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 scale working with your with your you know um, your embeddings and your data objects together, and then everything that we can work together with and adopt the uh, the the frameworks you mentioned, the um, orchestration tools you mentioned, the embedding providers that you mentioned, etc. That is amazing. It's like a new ecosystem that's starting to emerge and. 
I mean, I wrote a year ago, maybe less than a year ago, I wrote an article about this ecosystem. I call it the AI first ecosystem. And, mm -hmm. uh, and yes, we can debate about ML AI, the terminology, but I just wanted to address a broader group of people. Right. And, um, and that's now missing something. The orchestration mm -hmm. is not in there. So mm -hmm. that then you see how quickly that is like mm -hmm. evolving and makes so much sense. So, um, long story short, I'm excited about it. The reason I'm excited about it is because I think it will help in creating these feedback loops and those mm -hmm. kind of things. Yeah, the the feedback loop thing I think is really well designed with Langchain, and I think because Langchain and GPT indexes, I understand them are two slightly different ideas, as well as having a bit of overlapping functionality. But you know, another thing about Langchain that excites me so much with the Weavia database is like asking the language model, okay, you have these classes. Like, let's say I I'm creating a knowledge base of all my Weavia information. I have the Weavia documentation. I have the Weavia podcast. I have the blogs, and like I just have like Stack Overflow questions, so on. And so I say like how do you want to, what do you want to search through? And then maybe you can pick the class. It can add where filters, like, uh, you, like here are some of the guests on the WeVA podcast, which one do you want to search through? I think that kind of orchestration of the WeVA, uh, how to search through the WeVA is an extremely interesting thing as well. Uh, yeah. So maybe, uh, I think that's kind of a good topic, a, a good covering of these kind of orchestration tools. And we'll get more into that later on with our content. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> so maybe kind of wrapping up the podcast. And I think even it's a very open-ended question and even just a summary of the topics, I think would be a great answer. But like this kind of open-ended question of like, what is the future of the Weaviate Generate module? And how are you thinking about this? Yeah, so what I'm really excited about, and this is something that I, I just, it's so funny, right? So if you, if you see it, that you have like this huge epiphany that I've always been thinking about working with these models on input, right? So that mm -hmm. we can be, that we solve the problem of just not having a hundred percent keyword based search, but that we can, um, that we can have semantic questions that we have, can have do image search and those kind of things that was like, I saw this, this beautiful uniqueness coming from a, a vector search engine or a vector database. But what we added to that is that not only the input in the database, but also the output. So mm -hmm. they were basically saying like, we're going to give you relevant information coming from the database, um, but that's not per se stored inside the database. Just that's that's new. I mean, it's like I just just think about like one of the most used databases in the world, right? So like Postgres or MySQL, those kind of databases, right? It only outputs what's in there, right? <laughs> Which makes sense because that's a use case. But now we have this thing where we said you can do that if you want. That's fine. You can do that. But also, it can give you information, give your data that's generated based on a task or prompt that you're giving it. And having databases that take this information, make sense of it on input time, and generate relevant new content, if that's something you want as a user, I think that's, a, that's, that's amazing. And that's just getting started. I mean, we should do this podcast like a, a half a year from now again, and then just see how it evolved and what's happening there, because this is just too exciting, man. Yeah, we should have like a predictions that we revisit on the podcast. That'd be exactly, amazing. exactly, exactly. Thanks. Yeah, well, awesome. Thank you so much, Bob. I think, yeah, the search experience is having a makeover with this large language model extension onto the end of it. Uh, the whole discussion of the generate module demo of how to use it, the discussion of the argument, single result, grouped result, templating and the prompting, all these things to think about. And then uh, think about the prompting, like grounded generation prompts, uh, are follow-up questions needed, cite your sources, tell me you don't know, 
And then I'm so excited about writing data back to Weaviate, the language model orchestration and the Weaviate module system, all this stuff. So thanks so much, Bob. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me, Connor. It's always great, you know, to share with the, you know, the wider world what we're working on. So thanks.